Father God, we again give you much praise. We thank you for the liquid sunshine that clears the air from all the pollen that we've all been suffering from. And Lord, we thank you that we still have this great freedom to be able to gather together to study your word. And Lord, you're such a gracious God. You're so long-suffering. You're so merciful. And of course, Lord, what we've really learned from John is that you're so loving. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for each of us. And we ask that you'd be our teacher and that you would guide me through the thoughts that are in my head that it will all somehow make sense. And I just give you the praise for however you're going to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how did you like all that love? I, while you were in your discussion group, I thought I'd count how many times the word love shows up just this chapter. And actually, not just this chapter, but in 14 verses, the word love shows up 26 times. Now, the interesting thing about Christianity is it's all about love. And when you read 1 Corinthians 13, you know that you can do all these marvelous things in the Lord, but if you don't have love, you're like a brass bell or a tinkling cymbal or can't remember what the new translations have. Gong. <laughs> if we could just grasp hold of this thing called love, we'd have it. Doesn't that sound simple? I have a magazine that I just uh, was perusing uh, last night. It says, not if, but when. The 12th Ayman, or the Mahadi, may come to earth in the year 2007 and could be revealed to the world as early as the spring equinox in Mecca and then Medina. The Mahdi will conquer all of Arabia, Syria, Iraq, and destroy Israel and then set up a global government based in Iraq, says the Islamic Republic of Iran broadcasting company. Interesting. Well, who is this 12th Iman? It says here, it goes on. When he is revealed, all of Arabia will submit to him and then other parts of the world as he marches upon Iraq and establishes his seat of global government in the city of Kufa. Then the Ayman will send 10,000 of his forces to the east and to the west to uproot the oppressors. And at this time, God will facilitate things for him and lands will come under his uh, control one after the other. He will appear as a handsome young man clad in neat clothes exuding the fragrance of paradise. His face will glow with love and kindness for human beings. He has a radiant forehead, black piercing eyes, and a broad chest. He very much resembles his ancestor, Prophet Muhammad. Heavenly light and justice accompany him, and he will overcome enemies and oppressors with the help of God. And as per the promise of the Almighty, Mahdi will eradicate all corruption and justice from the face of the earth and establish the global government of peace, justice, and equity. Oh, that was really interesting. It really describes, guess who? <laughs> the Antichrist. And it's interesting, it goes on here, the Shiite Islamic scholars also say Jesus is coming back to earth soon. He will not, however, come as the Son of God or even as a leader, but will serve as a deputy to the Mahdi to destroy the infidels, such scholars say. We read in their book, and I can't pronounce it, this indicates that those two great men are com uh, are complementing each other. Ayman Mahdi will be the leader, and Prophet Jesus will act as his lieutenant in the struggle against oppression and establishment of justice in the world. 
Bottom line, leaders of Iran are preparing for an ap apocalyptic war with the United States and Israel. It is not a question if, but when. And I thought it was interesting here that Jesus is coming as his lieutenant. Well, you know what that is? That's the false prophet. And I had never thought about it before, but he'll be calling himself Jesus. Guess what? Uh, this is Citizen Magazine, and that is um, Focus on the Family. Interesting. And yet today's lesson, it's all about love. And you think, well, love went out? Guess what? Love will win out. Well, how in the world are you supposed to know a false teacher? A lot of statements there in that little article are false. Because Israel will not be wiped out. How can I say that? Because God says that. And I'd rather believe his word than some Iman that's got it all mixed up. So how would you and I ever come to get grips here with error? It's interesting how John says we're going to know this because every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess this is an antichrist. There's so many false prophets that come into the world, and John is concerned about the ones that he's struggling with in that day. And he's struggling in that day with docetism and Gnosticism. Docetism says that Jesus is a spirit only appears to have a body. Gnosticism says, and this is very similar, that all matter is evil, and therefore the only way you're going to have in spiritual enlightenment is intellectually. And so that's what John was facing. Now today I see the contrast in that. We don't have any trouble saying that Jesus came in the flesh. Our problem is to say that he was only a good man or a good prophet, but not the Son of God. Now, I know you've heard that because I've heard it many times. But Jesus, you take away either his divinity or his humanity, and you make him less than Christ the Savior. And then we are most hopeless, aren't we? And, you know, if Jesus, just put this in the back of your mind, if Jesus is not who he says he is, the Son of God, equal with God, then he is not a good prophet, and he's not a good man or a good teacher because he would be a liar. See, God doesn't give us that option. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Son of God. And therefore, we can, well, that's what we struggle with. Uh, because this day and age, you know, and can't you just see it when this false Christ comes on the scene, this Antichrist, that the world will hunger after him because he's going to bring that peace that they so desire. Well, verse 2 says... By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit does not, is not of God, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist. So we've pretty much covered that. Verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is a marvelous verse. Memorize it. Memorize When you get depressed, or you feel that you're struggling with truth or you know, spirits or anything else, just take out that verse and say, he who is in me is greater than he is in the world. How much greater or great big greater do you take that your trinity is involved in your salvation? So you got three there. Then you got you. You got the word. So you've got five against whatever's bothering you. <laughs> and so I figured the odds are really pretty good there. Just hang on to that promise. Many times I've come with that where I've just felt struggling with thoughts and so on that aren't healthy.
but that he who is in you is greater than he who is of the world. And it goes on to say, they are of the world, therefore they speak as the world. And the world hears them, but we are of God, and he who knows God hears us. And he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Those are some great verses, too. We not only have the Trinity in with directing us, but uh, we've got so much more. These false prophets, they have a popular following. And you might say, or somebody might say to you, well, look, how many people are following them? It must be right. And they're popular because they don't give you truth. One of the things they don't tell you about is that you're a sinner. They wouldn't want to offend you, and they don't believe it themselves. And so they tell you what you want to hear. Guess what? We had this last year, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith and giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared like with a hot iron. It just amazes me the amount of hatred that I see coming out of Hollywood against the president. It just grieves me. But he's born again. Are we, are we surprised that he's in the hot seat? Well, they're not. You know, and usually it's a moral issue that keeps, prevents people from coming to the Lord where they hide behind false religion. It's a sad testimony of the age we live in. I'm just an old bag, and I can really tell you how much I've seen and how much this world has changed, radically changed. It's just unbelievable. And it just seems like it's been really fast the last year or two, really fast going downhill. Don't listen to them. That's the spirit of error. And guess who's behind it? The father of lies is Satan himself. He encourages this. And we sometimes in our flesh just really look at numbers and think, this must be the right thing, but don't go there. Three things in our lives that are just are so intertwined, that's being born of God, loving God, and knowing God. It's all intertwined, and it can't be untwined. <laughs> so God's love only comes to us through the Holy Spirit. To love like God loves doesn't come to any of us naturally. I'm, I'm always a little concerned when somebody tells me, well, I've loved God all my life. And I think, ooh, I doubt that. <laughs> but it's true. It's, uh, it's not natural because it's unconditional and it's giving. And most people in their natural self want to receive rather than to give. You have to remember that Love is not one of God's attributes. It's his very essence. And all of his attributes flow through that love. Praise God, it does. His mercy, his goodness, his meekness, his justice, his wrath, all tempered by his love. And we're just not naturally born that way. I don't know. Some people say, oh, you can't say that about a baby. And I think, oh, yes, I can. Because what do babies do? They cry and poop and keep your attention all the time. Guess what? They're rather self-centered. <laughs> we just kind of temper them as, as they get out of their diapers and so forth. Oh, yeah, I love all my grandchildren. They're wonderful. Let's see. When you are born again, it's a gift you receive in verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love in this the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son 
to be the propitiation for our sins. There's that word again. And the last part of that, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now there's several things I want to point out there. One is, you might have been offended by the last question in the lesson this week, which was really stupid, but I wanted to point out how inadequate our English is. You know, we love ice cream, we love chocolate, we love our husbands, we love the green grass, you know, it's we have one word for the whole schmear. But agape love is the Greek here, and they have actually five words, and I could not remember what the fifth one was. <laughs> I have to look it up. But agape is God's love. What is God's love? It's giving, giving. Eros is not found. One of my professors at Simpson said it's not found in the scriptures, and I just took it for I took his word for granted. I've never looked it up. Storge is the family devotion, the love of family. And what we saw this recently with my oldest son's friend who died suddenly, and the, our whole family just went to his aid, all, all of us, all busy lives. And it was great to see that. And of course, philios or philos is friendship love. And this is what we women have. Most men don't get to do this. <laughs> but we have friendship love, and aren't you grateful about that? And then that big word, propitiation. Remember that the law was broken. Man has broken it. He can't fulfill it. And so God sent his son to accomplish that which was broken. So when you and I die, those who know the Lord, we will go right into the presence of Christ. Why? Because he paid the price for us on the cross. God's broken law was satisfied in what Christ did on the cross. I just put down here in my notes, I have, love is everything. Just get it. No, no, no. Just do it. It's so easy to resist and to hold back. But as our love develops and matures, uh, what does John tell us? That then it becomes complete or perfected in us. I think when you first start loving after being born again in Christ, it's just kind of uncontrolled type of thing. But what the Lord wants to do is uh, to have us complete in Him or perfected in Him. I wish I, I could say that comes real easy. And I wish I could stand before you today and say, I've got it. But I almost got in an accident coming here this morning. I was really mad at this guy. And, I was, and it took me a while to calm down. I thought, oh, yeah, right. You're just out there loving them. Just like nobody's business. No, I don't. I'm working on it. But what a gift it is, salvation. God gives us this love. It's life now, and yet this isn't just it. It's life eternal. That's why I don't have any concern about what might happen with terrorists because I know I'm secure in him and he is going to take me safely home and I can say the very same for you if you know the Lord. Remember, love is expressed. Godly love is expressed. It's an action word. Got that last week. God expressed it by dying for us. He expressed it by forgiving us. And he's expressed it by blessing us. Just someday, just sit down and count your blessings. God is just full of an awful lot. Then love requires, it requires choice. That kind of giving takes choice. It can also cost you. You know, our pride is awful big. And if you're ticked off at your husband at some time, it's really hard to get to turn around and then say something loving to him. But you've got to take it out of the realm of feeling. We never feel like, usually, an action. This is something really private for between you and the Lord. Have you ever been convicted by sin by the 
Holy Spirit. You say, well, I've been convicted all the time. That's good. It's a healthy sign <laughs> because you can do something about it. Am I indwelt by the Spirit? There's the verses to look up. Am I being taught by the Spirit? Do I sense the leading of the Spirit? Do I see any evidence of fruit in my life? Do I see signs of power in my life? Something going on with others around me that draw them closer to the Lord. Now all those verses are there and you do have it in front of you, so I'm not going to belabor that. But that's a good little exercise to go through. You and the Lord privately and asking Him to show you where you might be stuck. Because I got stuck someplace and I got convicted, so therefore I had to pass this out to you <laughs> so you get convicted along with me. But you have to realize that unbelievers take notice of our love. When I was dragged to Bible study years ago, there was something there among the women that really attracted me that I didn't have. And it was their love and their concern. I was really taken aback by it because it was so unconditional. And you know, when your church is performing like that, when they love one another and there's unity there, you're a bright light in a community, a very dark community today. So it's really important to take inventory and to see where you're at with the Lord. God wants us to do for others. These are all the one another's that are in Scripture. And I would recommend that you stick this in your Bible maybe this summer when you're not in a Bible study, that you would study the love of what God wants from us, to love one another, encourage one another, be at peace with one another, humbly serve and submit to one another. Well, those are good things to practice at home. Your husband might be wowed over or your children might say whoa what got into her <laughs> humbly serve and submit to one another show kindness and honor to one another preference instruct one another forgive one another stop judging one another that's a real good one boy we're quick to judge pray for one another and bear one another's burdens Galatians 6 2 great little study this would really help you in this whole area of love and care for other people I came across that and wanted you to have that too, for one another's. It would just be just great if you studied that this summer. And we keep going here. Whoever confesses that Jesus, in verse 15, is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, in God in him. That would be a tough thing to say real fast. <laughs> But uh, those verses are great. Believers know God's love. He somehow confirms it to your heart, and it's overwhelming. I remember the first time that I sensed that in my life. Um, I must have floated for about two weeks. I just couldn't believe it. God could love me. <laughs> then I hit with a thud because uh, some sin got old of me, and that was the end of that. <laughs> but I was so starved for love, and it was just so, God is so gracious how he does he meets each of us right where we're at. You know, our circumstances may be very difficult, but behind it all and through it all, God will accomplish his best in our lives. Remember, he's always with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he will take you through any horrible thing that might happen to you. Horrible things happen to each of us. It's, it just seems sometimes it's ongoing. And isn't this a wonderful promise? Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so we are in this world. And then it goes on to say there's no fear in love. But that's a real promise there. 
boldness in the day of judgment. That's revolutionary, really, concept. Well, what is this judgment? This is not the white throne judgment. This is the judgment seat of Christ. Our sins, believers' sins, have been taken out on Jesus, paid for in full. So when we stand before him, we will receive rewards. And I wrote down, some will have tears. I know, I think we all will. I think it will be so wonderful to meet the Lord face to face, to be in the presence of love. And I was thinking, too, when I was thinking about this last night, that my mother would be a real good example of just making it to heaven. She was an alcoholic, very difficult to love, and she literally bled to death. But prior to that, she came around enough so that I could lead her to the Lord. So she's in heaven, and nothing to show for her life, but she's there, and I think that's really exciting. See, because we will be rewarded for what we've done in Christ. Paul spells this out real clear. We had this last year when we did Second Timothy. That was his last letter. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, and he will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who love, who have loved his appearing. Why isn't that in your heart? Don't you just long for the Lord to return and so much suffering in the world? It would just be wonderful to have it. Well, verse 18 then talks about we have the boldness in the day of judgment, but then it goes on. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears is not been made perfect in love, we love him because he first loved us. Boy, there's an awful lot in that. But that is, um, fear involves torment. Fear here would be the consciousness of guilt. Now, if you've confessed your sins and you know they're gone as far as the east is from the west and Jesus has covered them you need and removed them, you need not to have that kind of guilt. That's You're bridging up something maybe in self-punishment. You're wanting to punish yourself. Don't do that because then fear comes right in. Because fear can't coexist with love. And I praise God that Jesus already took the punishment. Laura, you might say, well, I'm afraid of the future. In that question you had in your lesson, I, I had to be really honest about that myself. I think I fear the unknown. I have to have surgery in May. When I start thinking about that, I think, wonder what's going to happen. I worry about it, and I think, that's silly. God has the future. There's nothing to fear. And you might say, well, I fear maybe standing at the seat of Christ. I haven't done much for the Lord. I haven't shared him recently, or I don't have much fruit in my life. Well, you've got time. Get busy. <laughs> the one thing that's so beautiful about the Old Testament and the Ark of the Covenant as well is the judgment seat of Christ, he meets us in mercy. In the Old Testament, the mercy seat, the two angels covered the mercy seat, and they sprinkled the blood in there uh, once a year for all the sins of Israel. And uh, God met with Israel in mercy. Of course, they turned their back on him. Those of you who have studied the kings with me know how, how it got all to be downhill at the end, and they didn't need the Lord anymore, kind of like our country. But you can resolve any fear by focusing on his immeasurable love and letting him love you. Sometimes we just have to take a few moments and just come before the Lord and allow him to love us. We need that. 
How can you start your day without it? He quiets our fears. He gives us confidence. Where do we get that? We get that in him. And I don't know how any of us can really call ourselves to be Christian in the full sense if we're not abiding in the Lord. And how do you abide in the Lord? You simply take in his word into your life. You keep close accounts with him. When that guy kind of almost hit my car side-swiping it, getting into my lane, I had to confess that. I said, Lord, I didn't have good thoughts towards that man. So you keep those kind of short accounts. You're loved unconditionally. And then as you abide in him, you know, I always think of the vine, and then I'm the branch. His love then can come through me and produce fruit. I'm just to be that branch abiding in him. How do I abide in him? I just live and have my being and all of my worth in him and confess sin real quickly. Now, God's working on all of us. In 420, it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? That's a very interesting verse that brings us up real short. But that's what John is pointing out, three lies in this letter. He says, um, and it's seen through false teachers. They claim to know God, that's the first one, and to love God. But such claims, while disobeying God's commands, is a lie. Remember that. They claim, number two, is they claim to know God and love him, but such a claim, while denying the deity of God's Son, is a lie. Oh, but they're so spiritual. You know, I'll never forget Diane Milkey. When I was in Christian Women's Club, you know, it was a time of training and so on. She was really anxious to go see Catherine Kuhlman. And all of you that are a certain age have no idea who Catherine Kuhlman is. <laughs> but she used to have these meetings, and you could go. And Diane wanted to quit smoking, so she was sure she went to see Catherine Kuhlman that she'd be healed of that. And I had talked to her and told her how she could do it and so on. She wouldn't listen. But she says, oh, Liz, I want you to know that I prayed and asked God to shut the door if this wasn't right. So she could hardly wait to call me the next day because she went and just as she was to go in, the door shut right in front of her nose. <laughs> but, you know, that rascal, she went and found another door she could get in. And she's still smoking if she hasn't died. That's very sad. Anyway, it just always tickles me. <laughs> you, be careful what you pray for. You probably get it in ways that you didn't expect. And the third thought here is the claim to know God and love him while at the same time hating other Christians is a lie. I just urge every person in this room, if you've got something against somebody, take care of it. Take care of it. Don't let that keep festering. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. We can do all these fabulous things, marvelous things, but if we have no love, we are nothing. <clears throat> the very last verse here, 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, nope, 21, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. That's a command. How do you do it? You say, I can't stand my brother, or I can't stand this person. Well, you ask God to love him through you. Put yourself back into that branch. My mother was a very difficult person to love. I couldn't conjure up any feeling for her, but I went regularly and visited, visited her while she was in the rest home. And she was angry, and you don't come enough. Well, I had, I came twice a week. I had at home six children. Two were in grammar school. The other four 
were itsy bitsy. I, if anybody needed help, it was me. <laughs> but she insisted I would come. And I now can look back on that and realize that's agape love. That's not a feeling love, that's an agape love. Going and meeting somebody's need. And we could start right in our homes. That would be the best place. And certainly to those around us, don't hold grudges. And let's ask the Lord to help us, especially with chapter 5. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, you've told us over and over again about love. Over and over again. We don't quite get it. But if only we could grasp that one word, we would have Christianity just as we're supposed to have it. Help us, Lord, to be loving, not in our own selfish struggles, but, Lord, through your power. Thank you for each lady that's here today. Lord, give grant them safe passage home. And we just continue to pray for your spirit to be our teacher. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.